Hi guys, welcome back to the show. I hope you're enjoying a great summer and enjoying the warm weather wherever it is you are in the country. Normally, this time of year, many of us, many Canadians, travel abroad and many visitors come to Canada. But if you've been keeping up with the news, you will have noted what a disaster air travel has become. To be fair, it's a situation that's not just unique to Canadian airports. The disaster at airports seems to be a worldwide phenomenon, affecting all major airports across the world. To talk about the situation at our airports, I can't think of anyone more qualified than Duncan D. Duncan D is the former chief operating officer of Air Canada and a well-known commentator on issues related to travel and tourism. He's been extremely critical about the Trudeau government's handling of the current situation at our airports. So please welcome Duncan D to the show. Hey Duncan, so it's great to have you here. Um, there's so much to talk about, but maybe we can start with the mess at our airports. <laughs> you may remember that uh, back in the spring, um, our transportation minister, Omar Al-Gabra, uh, claimed that out-of-practice travelers were responsible for the airport delays. Um, essentially, I believe shifting the blame to the poor traveler and excusing the government's own failures. Um, what, what, what did you think of what Al, uh, Minister Algabra said back then? And more broadly, uh, what do you think have been the main uh, failures uh, from the government that's led to the current mess? Thanks, Rupa. Um, so I think that the root of the problem um, really was when Minister Algabra started blaming out-of-practice travelers for the mess at the airports. Because uh, when you start out by blaming the users for the problems in the system, it um, signals really to everyone that uh, you don't recognize the problems are yours. And so the issues we've seen at the airports have been very, very consistent, primarily in Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver, with CATSA lines that have spanned upwards of three hours at the worst of times, aircraft holding off gate two to three hours, whenever things um, have uh, backed up at the customs hall. And so what we've seen now uh, for almost four months are consistent delays in the processing of travelers, both on departure at security and on arrival at customs and immigration. Yeah, um, so uh, yeah, he was he was definitely, I mean, it certainly came across that way to me that he was um, not looking at the situation at the airports and the way the government's been handling it and just shifting the blame to the travelers. Um, and, you know, I'd like to uh, point to something that uh, I was reading in the news recently. The Wall Street Journal recently reported that Toronto's Pearson uh, has uh, earned the dubious distinction of being the world's worst um, uh, this, this summer, I, I believe with more than 50% of flights arriving late uh, the last few weeks, uh, making it even worse than Heathrow, Frankfurt, uh, and all other major airports. Um, but the government's standard defense, again, going back to Minister Al-Gabra, um, you know, whether it comes to uh, the airport situation or to inflation, everybody else is, everybody, everyone is having the same problems. It's not just unique to us. Um, certainly, uh, no, there's no question that major airports like Heathrow uh, have had some well-publicized uh, problems this summer. Uh, but do you think this is a fair comment by the government or do you think it's just a cop-out um, for their own failure uh, to fix the system? 
Look, I think it's an absolute cop-out. If you take a look at that list published by the Wall Street Journal, of the top 10 airports, there were two in North America. Number one was Pearson by a wide margin. And then number 10 was Orlando Airport at the very bottom where they've experienced actually some weather issues in the last little while. And the only other non-European airport on that list was Sydney, Australia, which has had um, some issues uh, that they've de dealt with, particularly regarding um, labor shortages. So when you take a look at the situation, the, the best comparators to Pearson would in normal times be JFK in uh, New York, O'Hare Airport in Chicago, Atlanta Airport, or you know maybe uh, if you wanted even LaGuardia Airport, which isn't an international airport, but is still a major airport in the US. None of those airports are in the top 10 worst delayed airports on the, in the world, but Pearson is. And so, you know, the notion that Canada is just one of many doesn't really hold water, especially when Pearson stands head and shoulders above the second um, uh, airport on that list, which would have been Heathrow Airport, where they've been facing significant issues. So, you know, I think that um, it's a definite cop out. I think what the government has done is basically tried to wash its hands of what's happened at the airports, um, but the airports and the travelers won't let them forget it. So what, what exactly makes Pearson uh, one of the worst in the world right now uh, to, to, uh, to transit through or to arrive or leave uh, or, or depart from? Uh, what, what are issues that are specific to Pearson that, uh, you know, one doesn't experience, say, in Orlando or in Sydney, for that matter? Well, like, I mean, um, Rupa, I think that, that that is an excellent question. And if you just yeah. take a look at the headlines, for example, you know, um, a few days ago, USA Today had a story how travelers in Maui, Hawaii, were waiting an hour before clearing um, security at the airport. And somehow that was worthy of reporting. Well, at Pearson Airport, we've had days and days and weeks and weeks of travelers taking three hours or more to get through security first thing in the morning. And somehow, you know, uh, an hour at Maui is, is worthy of a newspaper headline. But, you know, like the, the bottom line is, is, I think that what makes Pearson different is the cumulative impact of the delays that we've seen at Pearson for, for almost four months now. These delays started, at least the first I observed personally, was on the fourth, uh, sorry, the 2nd of April. So oh, almost four months ago. You know where you've had where we had a three-hour delay on a Saturday morning in April when there really shouldn't have been delays at all. Uh, you know, um, April is not a heavy travel month in Canada, as you know, Rupa. But we still saw a three-hour long lineup at security on a Saturday morning in April. That has not changed since April at Pearson. We've had delays like that virtually every day, either at customs or at security. You've had aircraft holding off gate. You've had um, travelers waiting in huge lines. Um, and so it's really not been any different. And when you have the cumulative impact of that cascading into the peak summer travel period like we, we're seeing now, where travel is booming in terms of the number of travelers taking to the skies, it's really just a product of what we've seen that has been taking place for such a long time. So, uh, Duncan, is it is it just uh, international travel that's been the most affected, or is it just also also domestic travel? So, if I were to get on a plane for, here from Ottawa to uh, Fredericton, New Brunswick, uh, am I going to have these issues at security uh, at security and uh, and and um, uh, you know uh, you know when I'm 
going to pick up my luggage or is it just uh, is it's or is it both domestic and international travel that have been severely affected? No, look, it's a great, great question. And yeah. the reason um, why the uh, situation is affecting both international and domestic traveler travelers mm-hmm. is because um, international air, there are no such thing as international only aircraft or domestic only aircraft um, at airlines in Canada. You've got um, aircraft that may have started their day in uh, LaGuardia Airport, and then they went through Toronto before they got to Ottawa to then go from Ottawa to Fredericton. And so when you've got that situation where aircraft are moving around the system day in and day out, that's where the cumulative impact of this that we're seeing. So let's just say that the flight that you were taking um, illustratively from uh, Ottawa to Fredericton, if that aircraft started in Montreal or Toronto before it got to Ottawa, it could have been delayed, which would have meant that your delay, your flight would have been delayed from Ottawa to Fredericton. And because that flight was delayed, then the Fredericton back to Ottawa flight would be delayed as well. And so, you know, the, the, the ecosystem that's the air transportation sector in Canada is very much intertwined. You've got flights coming in from, from any destination, international or domestic, that eventually at some point pass to, through, or from uh, either Montreal or Toronto Airport, which are the two worst affected airports during the federal service failures we've seen over the last four months. Right. Uh, I mean, for sure, there's a cascading effect when it comes to these things, even in the best during the best of times. And I can only imagine... I can't even imagine what the situation right now is, um, but I um, wanted to ask you, um, uh, you know, it's been a month since the Trudeau government announced this task force, I believe, to fix the mess at the airports and also, I believe, the passport offices. Uh, do you have any sense of what's been going on with this task force? Uh, do you think that the government is actually serious about fixing these problems or do you think the task force... Uh, is going to be just another eyewash? Well, look, the task force uh, was announced uh, on the 25th of June. The minister who was co-chairing the task force, Marcy Ian from Toronto, said that she wanted to see some something tangible within weeks. Well, it's been a month, mm-hmm. and we haven't seen anything tangible come out of the task force. Uh, the only thing we've seen tangible at the passport office from the task force seems to be They've ordered new chairs to deal with the lineups, but they've not extended the opening hours of the passport offices. Right. Um, just going back to the um, to to the delays at the airports, how much how much uh, the mess at the airports, how much of that has to do with labor shortages? Um, certainly, that's something that we've been hearing uh, from, uh, you know, from other airports, um, uh, you know, here at Pearson. I, I believe um, they I, I've heard some some officials saying that uh, they just weren't prepared for the uh, for all of the travelers coming back. Um, many they they had to lay off many pe- people at the beginning of the pandemic, and they haven't rehired these people. So is that is that is that a fair um, you know do do we do we accept that as uh, as as a plausible situation? Well, you know it's interesting that um, they started blaming uh, labor shortages a little bit late in the game. Okay. Uh, you know, very early on when the minister was blaming travelers, he said he had enough staff. He said he had 90% of his pre-pandemic workforce at security dealing with less than 70% of the pre-pandemic air traffic. 
So he had more staff dealing with fewer travelers than he did before the pandemic, and then he still got three-hour lines. So that shifted after that initial comment to he's now short. He started by saying he was short 600 security screeners. Then it became 800 security screeners, and then it became 1,000, and then he settled in at 1,200 security screeners that he was missing. So it ballooned from 600 to 1,200 in about six weeks uh, in terms of what he said he was missing. And Incredible. so, yeah. yeah. And, and so, you know, either his workforce got that much more inefficient during the pandemic, which, you know, the only conclusion you can come to is that, or really things are just so messed up that, you know, he's, he's needing more people to do the same amount of work or even less work than he did before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I wanted to um, switch gears a little bit and talk about Arrive Can or Arrive Can't as it's popularly known these days. Uh, many of us hope that this this app would just be retired for good once the once the pandemic abated. Uh, but uh, there seems to be no such luck. Uh, the government seems to want to make it permanent. And I believe they've uh, they're sneakily going to bundle this with customs declaration um, uh, into the app. And, and of course, you know, I'm sure you're aware of this, that the app has had some very notorious glitches. Um, including sending vaccinated passengers into quarantine. Um, and, uh, and, you know, as far as cross-border travel is concerned, you can bet your bottom dollar that Americans, for example, are not going to be interested in using this app for just a short visit. It just makes no sense. And recently, um, an NDP MP, uh, I believe um, Brian Massey, um, uh, you know, criticized Arrive Can, and he said that this is not about public safety. It's being used as, uh, in quote, uh, to quote him, backdoor to permanently track all border crossings. Um, and um, it's noteworthy this critique is coming from the government's allies that are, you know, propping up the Trudeau government and not from the conservatives. Uh, what do you think of what Massey has been saying um, uh, about the app? And do you think that this will, uh, you know, given that the fact that it's co- coming from the NDP, you think that the Trudeau government may rethink it? You know, look, I think uh, what Brian Massey said was uh, stunning mm-hmm. because, uh, mm-hmm. as you, you point out, these are the government's own allies that are keeping them in power. Uh, But the one thing that didn't surprise me was that Brian Massey represents a border community. You know, he's from Windsor uh, and border mayors have been the most consistent, loudest voices against ArriveCan since ArriveCan was created. You know, the border mayors have seen the impact that ArriveCan has had on their communities very firsthand. And so they're the ones who are saying, let's stop this nonsense. In terms of what's happened at the airports, you know, none other than the CBSA union, the union representing CBSA customs officers have come out and said that 30 to 40% of travelers arriving at the airports don't have the app completed or don't have it completed correctly. And so you've got this situation where, um, you know, criticism is coming from health experts, border experts, border mayors. Now you've got an NDP member of parliament joining the fray. You know, it's really difficult to see why the government wants to make this app permanent, but not just permanent, but mandatory. You know, if they have an app, you know, I've, I've often said the government can have an app, a kiosk or even mental telepathy. As long as they don't make it mandatory, it's fine. People can choose to use it if it really saves time. But this is an app that the government decided has to be used by travelers. 
what purpose does it serve at this point? I've used I've used the app when I you know when I I had to use it when I went overseas back in April, and um, you know I, I I don't even I don't recall whether anybody even checked to see if I was fully vaccinated, but I don't even know how it worked. I can't recall this anymore. But what what purpose is it serving right now, and why is the gov- government doubling down on uh, on a ride can when clearly there there have been so many issues? And what does uh, uh, MP uh, Massey mean when he says um, this is being used to track border crossings? Why would you want to track border crossings? What's the, what's the agenda there? Well, look, I, I think that that's an excellent question. So let's start at the beginning, what it was supposed to do. So uh, if we could start at the very beginning of ArriveCan, when it was yeah. first started, mm-hmm. it was billed as a time-saving device that would be used by travelers to upload their personal vaccine information mm-hmm. so that it could be um, so that it could be verified by government ahead of time before people arrived at the border. And so, you know, the initial... Uh, use of it was as a voluntary way, instead of showing this paper document at the border with your vaccine information, you could do it ahead of time. And that's what it was billed as. Since that time, it went from being a voluntary app to a mandatory app. And that app is now being made permanent. And they're, they keep on saying they're they're enhancing it. And you know, when a government tells you they're enhancing something, you've got to be worried about what they mean by that, because they're adding customs declaration, as you mm-hmm. said, onto this app. And, you know, at some point, is are they planning on making the app, you know, the only way you can make your declaration when you enter Canada, which basically means it's not just mandatory, but there's no other way of, of entering the country except through this app. In terms of what Massey's comment was regarding tracking of um, entries and exits at the border, I think what he was meaning was that it's a backdoor way to accomplish what the government may want to do, which is have an electronic way of tracking people coming into the border, tracking their whereabouts when they're in Canada, and then tracking when they depart the country. And so, you know, I'm not quite sure whether that's accurate or not. But, you know, when you've got an app that's being that's so um, critical to what the government keeps on saying is their border measures, you've got to wonder what it is that their intent really is with something like this when the initial justification for this app is no longer valid. Right. I mean, it sounds like, you know, if you want to track people's movements, it's not it's not it's no longer about COVID-19 or fighting the pandemic. It seems to be more about security, perhaps. Uh, and, uh, you know, why not just say that, um, you know, just admit that that's what you're trying to do uh, instead of using the cover of uh a public health safety. Um, and uh, yeah, and that's that's what's very problematic. And of course, that raises all kinds of issues. Um, and, uh, you know, I, and I just I just uh, in terms of privacy, for example, you know, I, I don't know where we're going with this in terms of tracking people's movements within the country. Um, would that would that apply just to visitors or would, would it apply to everybody? Well, you know, the thing that's really quite sneaky with the way the yeah. government's done this is they've said this is a mandatory app, but then they've also said Canadians and permanent residents who refuse to use the app can't be denied um, entry to the country. But right. then they've yeah. also said that if you don't use the app, you can be fined $6,000 for not using it. So, you know, it, it's it, it's really, we're, we're charting very um, uncharted waters here in terms of what this app is, what it's used for, 
Why is it so important? Why does the government want to make it mandatory? They've not answered very many basic questions. Mm -hmm. And I think when you've got an NDP member of parliament from a border community like Windsor raising those concerns, people need to pay attention and they need to ask these questions of the government as to why it is that they're so intent on making this app permanent, but not just permanent, mandatory. You know, that yeah. you can't enter the country unless you use this app. And and what do you think of uh, random testing that's now come, uh, returned? Uh, they were they were, we thought that they were getting rid of it uh, last month. Uh, I think it was temporarily put on hold, and now it's come back again, uh, or it's been in effect since uh, for about a week or so, if, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, why are they why are they again doubling down on random randomly testing um, passengers? Um, is any country doing this anymore? You know, 160 countries have reopened to tourism and travel since yeah. uh, the start of the summer, and none of them are doing mandatory random testing at the borders. Yeah. You know, there there are several countries that are tracking new variants, which is what the minister says, the minister of health says, is the justification for mandatory random, test, uh, random testing. But they're tracking those new variants using other methods like testing of wastewater at airports um, or testing of wastewater in the community to track the arrival of new variants. Mm -hmm. They're not randomly testing travelers. You know, four um, uh, infectious disease physicians came out and wrote a, uh, an op-ed piece that basically said these pandemic checks are doing no good anymore. But yet the government still wants to persist in, in these checks, which really aren't doing anything other than causing disruption and delays at the airport. Imagine if you're a traveler coming in from Europe, uh, recently recovered from COVID, and everybody knows that you can test positive for COVID months after your last infection uh, using a PCR test. And yet the government wants to test these travelers. And what traveler is going to subject themselves to that test with the risk that they would be um, uh, forced into a 10-day quarantine uh, if they test positive? Yeah. So speaking of which, uh, do you have any sense of how tourism is performing uh, this summer at all? Um, uh, are we seeing um, a, uh, an increase in tourists this year compared to the last couple of years? I'm thinking for sure a lot more people are traveling this, this summer, uh, given that there's been a loosening of travel restrictions around the world. But how are we doing in terms of tourism? Are we getting, um, uh, how, how are we compa uh, compared to other countries, for example? Well, you know, all I can uh, quote are uh, some statistics that were yeah. used by a, a U.S. congressman representing um, the Buffalo area, where he said that traffic across the Canada-U.S. border in his area was down 50% from what it was uh, pre-pandemic. So yes, people are traveling now versus what they were during the depths of the pandemic. Yeah. But compared to what it was before um, the pandemic started, you know, the numbers are very, very low. And the ones that are suffering the most are tourism operators, which haven't seen the return of American travelers in particular, mm -hmm. who are coming to Canada. And, you know, with these uh, restrictions that are at the air border, uh, it's getting more and more difficult to attract Europeans and other travelers to come to Canada to spend their money. Yeah. Uh, and lastly, uh, Duncan, I just, uh, everybody would agree that Minister Algabra has been one of the underperformers in the Trudeau government, and that's maybe putting it mildly. Uh, his instinct seems to be to blame everyone else rather than own up to uh, 
the, you know, the government's failings. Do you see any hope of real change in the sector while uh, Minister Al-Gabra uh, continues to be minister? Look, I mean, I, I really can't say uh, whether uh, this minister is capable of, of change. The, the fact that his initial reaction to the uh, troubles at the airport was to blame travelers did not bode well for the response subsequent to initially blaming the travelers. We've yeah. not seen any progress since that time, and I wouldn't hold my breath in terms of any more progress going forward. The only thing that um, is going to save the minister, in fact, from the mess at the airports is Labor Day because that's when travelers stop traveling. So, you know, um, it seems like he's just holding his breath for another six weeks. And then, you know, things will miraculously get better when travelers start going back to school and going back to work after the summer travel season. Right. Well, thanks, Duncan. Uh, there's so much that we could uh, chat about, but alas, we're getting towards the end of our time. Uh, but I wanted to, wanted to thank you for coming on the show. And I really hope that, uh, you know, we all have uh, stress-free travel going ahead and that the chaos at the airports is a temporary thing and that the new normal is not chaos going forward. But I really appreciate your time and I hope to have you back on the show sometime soon. Thanks so much, Rupa. That was great. Thanks for uh, having me. Thank you, Duncan. Thank you. Thank you.